This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Fog.net podcast. Scott Chasen, Blake McFarland, back talking more KU basketball topics. We kind of mentioned this last week. We said, you know, we covered the newcomers and the underclassmen last week. And uh, now we're kind of shifting to the KU basketball front court. Blake brought up the topic of uh, David McCormick a week ago. And uh, I think that was really kind of what sparked uh, us wanting to move in this direction. So, Blake, I'll toss it over to you right now. There are four names in the KU basketball front court between uh, David McCormick, Silvio DeSosa, uh, Jethro Muscadin, and, and Mitch Lightfoot. Who do you think is the most interesting member of the KU basketball front court and why? Yeah, so I think when you look at um, the front court, Silvio is a guy that everyone's going to be curious about because we really haven't seen him. Um, you know, when you've watched Kansas throughout the last two years, um, really, I guess, three years for, for Silvio, he was a guy that came on late in 2018 and a team that made a Final Four run. And I think that everyone would say he had a huge impact in that 2018 Elite Eight game against Duke. Maybe as big of an impact as a guy like Malik or Devontae did in that game. And it was just really, it was just what a lot of people thought was maybe the beginning of a great career for Silvio. You combine that with him then missing the next year for Kansas, coming back this year playing in a lot of games and then getting suspended again for Kansas. So hopefully this coming season for Kansas, Sylvia is going to be able to play in what hopefully is a 40 game season for Kansas. And when he plays 40 games, is he going to be a guy that develops? That's the question. Is he going to be able to show himself to be a player that was in those bursts and great moments of a high energy guy, getting rebounds, getting blocks, dunking it, being a great, five and really a great five and a small ball team that Kansas is kind of looking to go to. And if he is that, then that's going to be huge for Kansas. He's probably of the big men that will play this next year for Kansas. The one I have the least amount of faith will live up to his potential just because he hasn't. And I think Sylvia is a great kid. I think he's got a lot of talent. I think that he, if he lives up to his ceiling, he could be the best big man on on Kansas's roster. The problem is that, there's been a little bit of a tracker that he hasn't been able to. And even when he's been able to play, it seems like the game's a little fast, that maybe he's unsure of where he needs to go and when he needs to be there. So he would be a guy that I think has the highest ceiling, um, but also the the lowest floor for this team in this coming season. Yeah, I, I actually completely agree with you. And, you know, what's interesting about Silvio, at least in my opinion, is he's always been a guy who needs to to be given and kind of an extended run on the court to get comfortable. And uh, you think back to that first season and how he looked unplayable early in his KU career, uh, just because, as you mentioned, he was so sped up. And then when Bill Self was kind of forced to play him more uh, in the Big 12 tournament and then in the NCAA tournament, and he's getting all these extra minutes and all this time on the court, Silvio started to produce. I mean, he was 
what, one rebound shy of a double-double at the Big 12 tournament. Obviously, you mentioned the Elite Eight game, 10 rebounds. He's scrapping against, you know, Wendell Carter and, and Marvin Bagley, you know, lottery picks in the NBA draft. Uh, even last year, there was one game, I, I don't remember which one it was, but Bill Self basically let him play out the end of the game, like the final seven or eight minutes of the game, and he blocked a three-point shot. He was active. I remember us in, in media talking to him after the game. He actually played really well. And it was like one of only one or two times on the year that he actually got extended run. Go back to that Elite Eight game against Duke. I think it was right after uh, Yudoka Azubuki fouled out of that game that Silvio throws the ball, you know, like just on like a pass. He throws it into the stands, basically. And again, because Bill Self had no other options, uh, he was forced to stick with him. And what happens? You know, Silvio settles down uh, and plays well. So I think in, in that way, he kind of works against, you know, I guess how Bill Self has coached for a long time. And, and, you know, Bill Self has been, I would say would have the tendency to play the guys who are uh, maybe have a a lower ceiling, but just aren't going to make mistakes are going to be in the right spots. Landon Lucas is the shining example of that. And obviously Landon Lucas elevated the play of multiple KU teams just because he wasn't, there was no risk. You knew what you were getting out of him. He was going to be in the right spot on offense and on defense. And that was going to allow everyone else uh, you know, to be able to know what to do. I mean, there was the team where Lucas entered the starting lineup and then they go on a 17 game winning streak. And was that because of Lucas? No, but it was because, okay, now the center position is fine. The stars on the team, the, the best players on the team don't have to worry about that. I think it was in this case, Perry Ellis, Wayne Selden, Frank Mason, those guys can now just do what they do. They don't have to worry about, you know, what's going on and, and is this guy going to set a screen for me and whatnot. So I agree with you. I, I think Silvio is fascinating. I think he has a very high ceiling because I think his potential uh, as a rebounder and rim protector, it, both are higher than David McCormick's. You know, Blake, this is fascinating, and I, I guess it's kind of obvious to guess because I wouldn't be asking this question uh, if it wasn't, you know, some kind of a trick, but who had more blocks last year between Silvio Sosa and David McCormick? The answer is Silvio. In, you know, however few games he played, he actually blocked more shots. Uh, that, to me, tells you that you know, look back to his freshman year, his rebounding rate was astronomical. Silvio's both offensively and defensively, if I'm not mistaken. He is a guy who will produce, and I think if he gets the chance to play, I, I do have some faith that he'll settle down, the game will settle in. But at the same time, you know, Bill Self has not been a coach that you make a couple mistakes. He's just going to let you, you know, stay out there. Normally, he's going to go to someone else. Yeah, and when I was thinking about this podcast today, Scott, I was, I was thinking of a question in my head that I, I want to kind of throw to you and I think it would be even great to see some people debate it on the boards but is there a chance that why Silvio or or, or David McCormick couldn't play to their potential is because of Yudoka is I mean he was so good he was so much the offense he was so much the defense for Kansas the last um, I mean his whole career as many games as he could play and he's just so different. I mean, the offense is so much different when you have a seven footer who's 270 pounds. And if he gets within six feet of the basket, it's an instant bucket. Whereas you have a guy like Kevin McCormick, who's not quite the size and Silvio is a big boy in his own way. And he's very muscular and very talented, but they're very different players. So you wonder if because of Udoka in his style, that they were never a good fit for Kansas because they were always playing and competing against him. 
Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, Yudoka was never supposed to be at Kansas longer than two years. You know, I actually wrote a, a feature on Yudoka just after the season, and I talked to KU assistant Norm Roberts, who he backed that up. He said, quite frankly, the only reason he stayed four years was because of injury, and I firmly believe after his second year he would have been gone had he not uh, had a knee injury that hindered him in the Big 12 tournament, or he didn't play in the Big 12 tournament, and then in the NCAA tournament, which... I mean, you know how important it is for just the exposure you get. I mean, it sounds like Svi basically got drafted by the Lakers because Magic Johnson saw him against Duke and against Marvin Bagley and was completely enamored uh, by what Svi did in that game. So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't overlook things like that. I, I agree to an extent that um, it, it was probably tricky for both those guys, especially, I mean, think about a guy like David McCormick, a McDonald's All-American, who's probably thinking, you know, at most, all right, you know, I'm going to be here for one year, Doke's going to go pro, and then, you know, it's going to be my front court to take over. And Bill Self even said during McCormick's freshman year, uh, before and after Doke was injured uh, and missed, obviously, the, the latter part of that year, that, you know, he thought Doke was gone. He made a comment to media, you know, that was like, oh, we're not going to get to see how much Doke improves because he'll be at the next level next year or something like that. So to to that point, I, I actually think there's some cadence to the idea that it hasn't been an ideal situation for them. Now, David McCormick also got the chance to be that guy uh, alongside, I believe, Diedrich Lawson two years ago, uh, you know, after uh, Doke had the, the wrist, the hand, ligament, whatever injury, and uh, was forced to miss the rest of the year. And he was productive, but you know, at the same time, David McCormick has the ability to be a very good rebounder. At times, he's been a very poor defensive rebounder. Now, at other times, he's been okay uh, doing that. But, you know, that's been one area of his game that he really needs to work on. And then I I'm just curious to see what the offensive game looks like because he's such a high-volume shooter. But also, you know, that's understanding that his opportunities maybe have been limited. He only averaged 15 minutes a game last year. So it's a little bit different when you know you're not going to play that much. Maybe you're, you're trying to be more aggressive looking for your offense. But I don't think this Kansas offense will be at its best next year uh, if David McCormick is just taking a bunch of long jumpers. I think he'll need to work more within the flow of the offense, which I think he is uh, very capable of. And, you know, we heard going into last year that David McCormick might have been the most improved player on the team, most improved player in the front court uh, going into the year. If he can have another offseason like that, I, I don't see any reason why he couldn't take a big step forward for this team. Yeah, I would say he's the he's the big man I have the most confidence in. He's a guy that um, I think he has more of a complete game than any of the other three options that Kansas has. Um, frankly, Scott, I'm not ready for my mind to melt when David McCormick is splashing elbow jumpers all season. Uh, I just don't think that's something I'm going to be able to get used to, but it's a part of his game. I think that as soon as people embrace that, um, it's going to be a beneficial for Kansas if he is kind of shooting it at the clip that he was starting to at the end of last year, which, you know, we've seen this before where guys take leaps at the end of one year and they don't always carry over. So I think when David, he's a guy that it's just seemed to me like maybe one thing or maybe one or two things just have been just a little bit off or they haven't quite been up to the standard that David and Bill Self and Norm Roberts and everyone who works with them have expected them to be. And that's been a little bit of a hindrance um, to his development and playing time in Kansas. I think that David, like a lot of players who have high expectations, they come in, they kind of look at themselves in the mirror as a junior and go, this is go time. I'm either going to be able to develop and make it to the league or I'm not. And I think David's a guy that's looking into that. And I think that he's going to be a huge part for this team. And 
he really truly is about as ideal as you could get for a five when you're going to have four guards around him. He's big. He gets rebounds. He can block shots. He can go for alley-oops. He can dunk. Um, and if he can stretch it a little bit and take those elbow jumpers, then Kansas is going to have probably a pretty potent offense. And, and I just think that Kansas fans have to be ready that his, his game and Yudoka's game are going to look so different. And the offense is going to look so different when they're not just working the ball into the post. And then if that doesn't work, trying to get Marcus Garrett and Devon Dotson in situations where they can go to the basket. The offense is going to be different. And I think that that's a benefit for David McCormick. I, I would definitely agree with you there. I, I I think you kind of hit it on the head when you said he can do all those things because, again, we've both seen times where he looks – I mean, UM, the UMKC game where he scored like 30 points notwithstanding. There have been times where he looks like a very complete player and he's doing everything. I think consistency will be such a big question because it, it's underrated how hard it is uh, to be a very consistent player to the extent that, you know, you go back and, and look at – you know, the, the quote unquote key basketball favorites or guys who maybe didn't carry that kind of same weight. And a lot of it just depends on, you know, what they did at the right time. Good examples of that maybe being, you know, we talked about Christian Brown last year and, you know, maybe he wasn't always the biggest performer. He really, you know, his averages really weren't that impressive, but he had a couple, more than a couple, he had a, a, a couple handfuls of, uh, of memorable performances that were important and team affecting. And so that kind of raised his stock. Conversely, you can think of players who maybe had a bunch of good games, guys like, um, obviously it's on a different scale, you're grading these things differently, uh, but like an Andrew Wiggins, maybe even a Ben McLemore, Xavier Henry to an extent, all those guys being freshmen um, just by happenstance and saying, well, they had a bunch of good games, but you know, also maybe they weren't super consistent at the right times in the seasons or didn't elevate the team a certain way. So I think just my, my greater point in saying all this is not to compare all these players, but to say that David McCormick has the ability to do all these things. I'm really intrigued to see if he can do it and bring it on a consistent basis because there's another guy in this front court uh, in Mitch Lightfoot who his most productive year as a sophomore, you know, he only averaged four points, three rebounds, a block and a half. Uh, He did shoot 35% from three that year, 70% from the line, 57% from the field. So it was fairly productive, took a bunch of charges too. But, uh, you know, we've heard about how Mitch Lightfoot has developed, uh, especially as a shooter going into his, I guess you'd call it his redshirt senior season. And if David McCormick can't be that consistent presence, I think the other guys and the other guys being Silvio and Mitch Lightfoot are going to get a legitimate shot. And uh, I'm intrigued to see what Mitch Lightfoot looks like because I don't think he'll be able to carry the bulk with him to play um, five against some of the bigger bodies they'll face. I know he added weight um, really ahead of the last two years, but yeah, he's yoked now, Scott. Have you seen his Instagram? He's jacked. Well, but and and what we've kind of seen in both cases is that he hasn't carried that weight through the season. Like it, you get the the prison Mitch thing, you know, the whole <laughs> nickname, all that. And then the season starts and that weight starts to drop off again because he's working on different parts of his game. It's just different guys carry weight differently. And so again, I, I'm I'm intrigued because I think he actually fits if he can if he can hit threes, I think he hit fits really well at the four, especially defensively. But it may be another situation where you may play small most of the time. You may only have one big man on the court most of the time. So it's really going to be David McCormick, Silvio, and Mitch Lightfoot battling for those. The fourth, obviously, being uh, Jethro Muscat. And I, I think he's a lock to redshirt. Um, may, maybe he won't, but I, I think he's close to a lock to redshirt. So I, I'm just intrigued to see Mitch Lightfoot um, and how he gets added to the mix and, and kind of, I guess, what that competition looks like. Yeah, I mean, it, could you write it up any better? The, the KU basketball player who I think 
everyone can tell loves college and being a college student the most is getting a fifth year. He's getting a, you know, a victory lap um, around campus and opportunity to just focus on basketball and getting his master's degree. And he's such a great kid. I'm really excited to see what he did in his red shirt year. I think that when you take a step back and you, and you put away your, your KU gear and you look at him, here's how Mitch Lightfoot is going to get playing time at Kansas. He's going to get playing time because he has a totally different skill set than Silvio, than David, than Jethro. That's how he's going to get playing time. If he can hit threes and read some articles, sounds like he was letting them fly in practice um, last year, and hopefully that continues this year. If he's like a 38% three-point shooter, which would be ridiculous for a power forward, but if he's like you know third, fourth best three-point shooter in Kansas, he's going to play a lot of minutes for Kansas just because that's such an equalizer when you have a team. You have a big guy that can step out there and shoot it, it opens the floor up a lot. So for Mitch, if he can do that, if he continue to be the energy guy, if he continue to be the, the glue guy, can he get his blocks and can he live out um, that energy that he's going to bring to Allen Fieldhouse and for people watching at home, he's going to have an impact on this team. And I think that the one thing to remember about Mitch is this. If Bill Self didn't think fifth-year Mitch Lightfoot could have an impact on the team, he wouldn't have redshirted him. He wouldn't have asked Mitch to redshirt. He just would have let him play out his senior year, and it would have stunk for KU fans that a guy like Mitch Lightfoot, who's grown up as a fan, who's KU through and through, wouldn't have been able to play in the NCAA tournament, and that, that would have really stunk for him. But Bill Self obviously saw something in him. He saw something that said, let's have one more year of this kid, and we'll see what happens. And, and if he truly developed that three-point shot, I, I think that – it's, in my opinion, safe to assume he'll be the second big man off the bench and Sylvia will be chasing minutes if Mitch Lightfoot is as good of a three-point shooter as the practice rumors are, and we just have to take those with a grain of salt right now. Yeah, you, I, I think there were a couple things that went into the redshirt decision. I think that's absolutely one of them, is I think Bill Self and the coaches probably looked at it and said, hey, you know, we may not get much out of this guy this year, but there's a chance he could be a pretty good player you know, if he does come back just from the, from the coach's perspective, obviously. And yeah, look, I, I am intrigued because I think he offers something in shot blocking that David McCormick does not. He offers something in shooting that David McCormick does a little bit. And even Silvio launched a couple of threes. I think Silvio went two of three from three last year. So he's a close to a 70% three point shooter, a 67% three point shooter. Um, I would not expect that to hold up. I, I think Mitch Lightfoot has a, has a good chance to be a, a pretty decent three point shooter and, you know, I mentioned 35% as a sophomore. I don't I don't have any clue on what volume that was. Um, but I, I think that's a very reasonable expectation for a guy who's taken, you know, taken this year to to really work on that aspect of his game. I, I think the Kansas front court, you know, even even if Jethro Muscadin does indeed redshirt, which again I think he's going to, I think you've got a chance that it's actually a pretty versatile and pretty talented uh, front court. And, you know, just minutes projection and thinking thinking about it like that. If you've got 40 minutes a game to give out at your five spot, and Bill Self has already said this team is going to play small most of the time, but let's let's give him 15 minutes a game. So let's let's give him 55 minutes total of uh, of you know big men. I guess time for big men on the court. If you divide that up into thirds, you're looking at 18, 18, and 19 minutes. Uh, if I did my math correctly there, so I don't think it would be out of the realm of possibility to see a fairly even split. Of course, that's not really been how it works, I guess, on most teams. And some some teams it has been. Um, I think if you look back, there have been times where one big man elevates and clearly earns the minutes over the others. Uh, 
or maybe it'll be that type of way. But whereas in past years, I've kind of felt looking at the roster that, hey, someone's going to have to sacrifice here. I'm not necessarily sure that's the case on this team because you really have three big men competing for, you know, 50, 60 minutes tops a game. Uh, and and any one of them is capable, probably, um, maybe you're least confident in Silvio, but any one of them could, in theory, play 20, you know, 25 minutes in a game and really take a big den of those minutes. So I, for that reason, I actually think like roster construction wise, this is a perfect roster for Bill Self to be able to redshirt a couple guys, still have a ton of good guards and wings, still have a pretty nice front court and know that there's a lot coming back. You mentioned kind of building a foundation of a, of a program this year. I, I think this is kind of a perfect roster situation for a quote unquote rebuild team after having the number one team in the country all of last year. Yeah, a rebuild team that'll probably be uh, either the, if may win the big 12 preseason poll, Baylor will be a great competition for him, but a lot of experience in the right spots when you look at this team for Kansas. You've got a fifth-year senior in Mitch Lightfoot who was on a Final Four team. He's seen success. He's seen failure at Kansas. You've got David McCormick who um, has had some experience at Kansas. You, you do run out of a little bit of NCAA tournament experience with this team. Only Silvio, Mitch Lightfoot, and Marcus Garrett, just off the top of my head, have played more than two games in the NCAA tournament with McCormick playing. I guess he played two. Um, but, you know, there's not a ton of guys with NCAA tournament experience, so that's something that's lacking, but you have a lot of experience in other places, and hopefully a guy like Mitch Lightfoot can bring that. Hopefully Marcus Garrett can bring that, and, and Silvio and, and David as well, but team looks good. I, I, I know Jethro is probably going to redshirt, but here's my hot take for you, Scott, on Jethro. Go for it. If Jethro doesn't redshirt, he is going to be an absolute stud for Kansas. And if he's not redshirting, it's because he's going to be on a similar trajectory as a guy like Joel Embiid. And that's not just their body types, their sizes. But when Bill Self gets these project players who have a lot of skills, but they don't have it all together, if they all of a sudden Bill Self puts all the pieces together, these guys take off quickly. Uh, I think when you look at Joel Embiid at Kansas, they thought he was going to be a two-year player. He really became, you know, a a one-year player and, and was, you know, Injuries aside, would have been really, you know, an extremely impactful player for Kansas all the way through that one year. I think Jethro could project to be maybe a guy to get to Joel's impact by year two for him. But he's got a lot of skills that you like. He's got athleticism. He can step out a little bit. He's got huge frame. He's very lengthy, so he could he could work out there. And I to kind of cross sports here. I think that. He's a guy that if he can basically play out of his red shirt, he is going to have as much of an impact as any player. And, and you look at the football team, there's some guys that could play out of their red shirts that if that happens, you have to be really excited about the direction of the program. I, I agree that if he does play throughout the year, it'll be almost similar to Ochai Abaji too, because he's that case is a little bit different, but like too good not to red shirt would kind of be the idea. I think the difference, and I know you're not comparing them directly on a, a one-to-one comparison, obviously, Jethro and Joel. I, I think the main difference is I think Jethro has a long way to come, uh, not only with the the skill set of his game and, and the, the kind of individual skills, but I, I just think adding strength, uh, being able to compete against comparable bodies. Uh, I, I was impressed with what I saw in film. We did a, a scouting Sunday on him, which... You can obviously check out on, on fog.net. And if you go onto the VIP board, it's pretty easy to find. Or again, just Google, you know, Jethro Muscat and uh, Scouting Sunday and, and you'll come up with it. But he, he's got 
skills that translate. He's got the ability to shoot. Kind of reminds me of uh, uh, like Owens from Texas Tech or like um, there were a few KU big men that, that I kind of gave him comparisons to just from his, you know, rebounding motor um, ability to compete on the glass, ability to, to, you know, maybe step away from the basket, although I want to see more of that. Um, I, I just think I, I think he has a long way to come with his game. I actually, just my own personal projections and opinion, am looking at him a lot more as redshirt one year, then maybe another year if not playing that much in development, and then maybe a year three, year four type of uh, emergence from him. I, I actually think he's a ways away, but to your point, if he doesn't redshirt, that's definitely going to be an indication that either uh, someone like Silvio is nowhere near where they wanted him to be, or that uh, that Jethro is way ahead of where they want him to be, I think. Yeah, and I, I think that would be a good sign. And it could be the same thing with Latrell. I mean, I think when you look at Kansas, one thing that Bill Self has been able to hang his hat on is that he's been able to scout guys and get really good reads on how to get them ready to play in the D1 level, the major D1 level, quicker than other programs and just have faith with his track record, Bill Self's track record of, finding these guys that are a little bit overlooked and getting them to be dangerous on a power G one team quicker than other programs. And I think Jethro is a guy that has a lot of those skill sets that if he can put them together and Bill Self can put them in the right spots, he can be a dangerous player for Kansas, um, you know, potentially next year, but certainly the year after that. Let's end on this. Uh, let's say there are 60 minutes. We'll make it easy to go around for the four big men. What, what are you projecting minutes wise? Oh, I would probably do 30 for David. I think he's really going to be the guy that will take the lead. And then uh, I would have to do 15 and 15 between Mitch and Silvio on an average basis. You know, some games it might be more like 18 and 12 between the two. Um, But yeah, I think that I think one of them is going to get more minutes than the other. But really, it's going to be a battle between Silvio and Mitch on who's going to get the the remainder of the minutes after David's done eating down there in in the low post. Yeah, that's actually pretty close to what I would say. I'd I'd pencil David in for 25, and then I would probably go, you know, split another 25 between Silvio and Mitch, and then this is kind of cheating, but whoever's playing well would either steal the last 10 minutes, or if no one's playing that well, you just go small for that extra time. But yeah, I actually, I'm I'm, I'm right there with you on the, the projection, and look, it'll be interesting if Jethro does get added to the mix, and uh yeah, I mean the the, the front court. I, I like like we've kind of talked about. I actually think it's pretty well rounded. Um, just with that kind of question mark of does Silvio de Sosa, where we started this podcast, you know, does Silvio de Sosa finally emerge as the guy that people have thought he was going to be, basically uh, since his freshman year? So, uh, I, Blake, I think that's a good stopping point for today. Um, a- any final thoughts on the big man before we get out of here? No, I'm excited. Like we said, they're they're a good group, and it's going to be nice to see an offense that isn't just pounded into the post and pray for the best. So it'll be interesting to see how they develop. Yeah, last year's offense, not very aesthetically pleasing, although more effective than you'd think, you know, with the, the numbers, obviously. But uh, that's going to do it for this week's uh, Fog.net podcast. Thanks again to Blake for joining me. Blake at TheBlakeMC on Twitter. I'm at Jason Scott. Make sure to head to Fog.net for all your KU football, KU basketball content, and we We will talk to you again next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.